What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta's own two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta sports with wacky ass hijinks and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's going very well. Thank you, as always, for asking. It's a uh, Friday afternoon here. What? Friday, September 4th. Yes. We've made it through August. We have. Baseball's still playing. You're it's just you're on fire today, man. Very astute observations. <laughs> uh, we appreciate the exposition. Football's about to start. Indeed. Three-day weekend. Yes. And it's past 6 o'clock now, so we've got this delicious Wicked Weed IPA. Oh, yeah. Um, things are going well, Graham. Excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I've uh, been really digging into some Braves. Not even like more so than I normally do, but I don't know what it is, but I think maybe I'm just getting more excited about where this team's at. So I've just been... So I think earlier in the year, I was still just not used to baseball doing what it's doing. So I was like... I, didn't, I, I was watching, but I wasn't watching with you know great interest. Now, this team's infectious spirit has gotten into me. I'm hanging on every pitch like I would in a normal Hell season. Yeah. So I, I'm... Fully 100% invested, even though I still think many of the new rules are bullshit, minus the universal DH. And uh, I hate 60-game seasons and seven-inning doubleheaders. And guys are in second base in the 10th inning. But I can't deny that I still love watching the Braves almost every day play baseball. Yeah, and yeah, some of the, as we've said, the new rules are very strange. But I don't feel like they've changed who's on top right now at all. Cream of the crop is rising. By and large, for the you're most part. Probably right. I don't think there's. It'll be interesting to see when it comes down to the last week of the season. Because so many teams are in contention now, right? Because we've got eight teams on both sides of the league, on both leagues that are going to go to the playoffs. So, what's going to happen if, let's say, I'm just going to pull two teams out. Let's say the Padres and the Rockies are tied for the last wild card spot. And they're playing a game, last game of the year. I don't even know if that's feasible, but, you know, hypotheticals here. And, you know, somebody you know, somebody wins based off that starting on second base rule. I mean, people are going to bitch about that for forever. Whoever loses will bitch about how it's the dumbest rule in American history. It's dumb to complain about, though, because their team would have also started with a runner on second. It's true, but they could so also make the point of, oh, our it. pitcher would have had a different strategy without this arbitrary runner on second So base. would their pitcher. I know. That's stupid. I'm just saying. Accept reality as I it is. It's, it's, it's lame. No I mean, one likes change, but you get used to it, and then next thing you know, you forget there was even something different. Oh, if this it, stays, I will remember it forever, and I will hate it. I mean, it's no different than... College football, yeah, the twenty-five yard line. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I get that, that's not real football. That's not where it starts. No, it's lame. I don't think. I don't think. But people love it. Well, I would. I prefer that over the NFL's rule of like, if you score a touchdown, it's sudden death. I do hate that. Shit. I think that's lame. I mean, I will I've, say, I've always hated NFL yeah, overtime rules. I will say at least the, the MLB doing this thing, like you're saying, it's not like one team gets and the other team doesn't, but it's still just so bizarrely different from how baseball has been played. Um, it's just very inconsistent to me. But let's not wax non-poetically about that shit for another 45 minutes, I think. Especially yeah, the people that actually listen to the podcast have heard this argument yeah, for the last two months. We so. got too much to get to today. Right? Yes, we, we got, do. We got to talk some Braves. We got trade deadline. Uh, yeah, we got to talk about the trade deadline that came and went. The um, came win? 
that came and, and went. Oh, it was August 31st. Yes. Since we last talked to the users, Adam, the yes. trade deadline has occurred. Yes. That's what you're trying to say. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm trying to agree with you. Okay, cool. It's really smooth so far. Yeah. Nice. I think we need some more vodka. Cool, cool, cool. Um, no. Disagree with you there, Graham. <clears throat> so we got Braves. We got Falcons. We're, the, we're doing our season recap, uh, season preview, right? We are doing our season preview <laughs> because I might be going out of town at the end of the week next week. And we may not have time to record, so we will be doing our season preview of the Falcons today, which we are both very well prepared for. Yeah, I, I agree with that statement. We're ready for it. All right. So let's jump into the Braves. Sure. That's kind of fresh on everyone's mind. Uh, since we last recorded, the Braves have gone four and two. And there's six games, uh, three-game series against the Phillies. And admittedly, I was in the woods, but I did listen to these games on the radio. Um, they're really boring games to listen to on the radio. Zach Erlin. Is that his first name? Robbie Erlin. Robbie Erlin. <laughs> and uh, Josh Tomlin games. Not the most exciting games to listen no. to. Um, so we lost the first two to the Phillies, like 4-1, 3-2, some crap like that. Yeah. I mean, they were kind of close, but they kind of weren't. Like, you felt like the Phillies were in charge in both of those games. Uh, last game in the series was the Sunday Nighter on ESPN. Did watch that one. That was a doozy. Oh, by the way, I watched. Um, so everyone's people complain about Chip Carey and Jeff Francoeur all the time. Alex Rodriguez is arguably ten times worse. Yeah. Than those two, like it's pretty I, bad. I don't know if you listened to that broadcast well, at all. I I listened. We listened to part of it, and then we started listening to music just because it was. It was atrocious. And I usually like Matt Vaskirjan, actually. I feel like I've spent more time with Matt Vaskirjan than I've spent with probably my entire family because he's the commentator in the MLB The Show Games, which I've been playing for the last 10 years. <laughs> and so I've, like, I've heard like hundreds and hundreds, maybe even a thousand games at this point I've probably played. Are you a fan of him based off MLB The Show where it's just pre-recorded statements that are... I mean, I always thought he did a good... I, I know it's, it's different, right? But... I mean, I started, like, I didn't know who he was before MLB 10, the show, which was my first show game. And then I heard him call a couple games on MLB Network, and I'm like, he's not terrible. You know? Like, sure. I'm just going shirtless here. This is uh, getting hot and steamy. Uh, I asked Gibby. I mean, we're in Gibby Studios again, and he said it's fine if I wanted to take my shirt off. So. John John did look up at you when you took your, your, <laughs> your shirt off. He was... We might get, I mean, we might get charged an extra 10 bucks. Might get charged something. That's okay. I don't know if it'll be money for money, but it'll be something. Anyway... Uh, but anyway, but yeah, so like Vaskersian, I was like, you know, he does a good job in the game, which I know is totally different than real life, but I heard him call a few games over the years and uh, outside of the show. And yeah, he, even he wasn't very good on Sunday night. And, but Rodriguez was just like un- unlistenable. Like at least Chip Carey groaned at some of the shit he says, but honestly, 85% of the time, he's tolerable. If he just says what's going on in the game, well, even though he even though he makes mistakes all the time, you can sort of deal with it. It's not like oh he looked you know like with Ozuna he looks really hittery right here. It's like what the fuck are you even saying? Well, did you hear him say the thing about the Phillies like center fielder? I think um, that he's he's the fastest guy in the game. He can run thirty miles an hour. I I read <laughs> about that. I think I turned the 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 game down at that point. Yeah, which is like I don't know like. What kind of animal runs 30 miles an hour? Like, I mean, animal? A really fast dog? 
I don't think I don't even know if a dog can do that. I know cheetahs can run like six. They're like seven. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're, they're absolute beasts. But yeah, he's just pulling things out of his ass like we do sometimes on this podcast. The difference is he Maybe gets like paid a deer. He gets paid millions of dollars to call games for ESPN. Right. Which, which is, is why Adam, more than ever, I'm actually going to start. We've been talking about this for weeks, but more than ever. Before the season is over, Adam and I are going to call at least one Braves game, do a Facebook Live on the Atlanta Zone Facebook, and we're going to not show the game so you can sync us up with the game, and we're going to try to call a baseball game. Because we ridiculed Chip Carey. We, we're, we're talking... Gibby. <laughs> we're talking shit about Alex Rodriguez uh, and Vascursion, and I think it's time to put our uh, money where our mouth, mouths are. And let's see if we can do a better job. I mean, yeah, I think people would have their concerns considering it took us like three years to figure out how to sync up two mics. And it, and it still took you about 20 minutes to do it today. Well, admittedly, that was sound, uh, I mean, not SoundCloud, GarageBand's fault today. But uh, we still, it's, it's, it's happening. But, and you know, if you hadn't said anything, the users wouldn't know. Well, you know, I like to be honest. Um, but anyways, the reason I brought that up was I switched over to the StatCast for that game. I heard those guys were great on ESPN too. It's unbelievably entertaining, and like I like learned about sabermetrics and shit. Yeah, like they 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 gave you all the intel. They break down what it means, what it is. Um, I'm trying to remember which. Now are they are they still calling the game or are they just talking over the game? No, they're, yeah, they're calling the game, but then they're also just bringing into all these sabermetrics. Well, maybe like, they should be promoted to the big ESPN. Hundred percent, and, yeah. and like uh, they they even called themselves at one point like. Uh, or someone else on ESPN came in and they're like, here's the uh, other broadcaster, also no- known as the one that Twitter likes better. Trash, trash, trash. Yeah. So, like, they, they know people just hate Alex Rodriguez. Um, but you hear things like, I guess, like Chris Martin, can't remember what stat, but apparently he's been very lucky. Like, he's put up great numbers, but, like... Uh, His FIP might not be is the that best like, in the word, fielding independent pitching. Something like that, like where it's the thing that where the pitcher, <laughs> it's the stat that is used to evaluate what how well a pitcher is doing and the things he controls. Or it's like batting average independent of results or some crap like that. Well, fielding independent know. pitching is pretty much the same yeah. thing. Where it's like, you know, you can really only can like in terms of a a pitcher you're controlling um, home runs and strikeouts and walks kind of thing, and it sort of measures that into an aggregate stat. So if you have, like, a three FIP, it's apparently very good. You get into the fours, it starts getting worse. Five is, like, the you know, if you're in the twos, you're Tom Glavin. Sure. But, uh, yeah, maybe it was something like that. Yeah. Obviously, I learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, but you really was, retained a lot. Yeah. Maybe you learned a lot, but you didn't, maybe didn't retain it. <laughs> yeah. It lasted maybe until I went to sleep. I, have to, I might have to watch that the next Sunday Night Baseball you would telecast. En- you would enjoy it. Okay. it it's, it's, it's really good. Excellent. Um, but anyways, yeah, that, that was the game where we had the 10-run second inning. That was exciting. This was the game where we had the 10-run second inning. Austin Riley hitting three-run bombs. Um, Tommy Malone's debut looked very sharp the first two innings. I wouldn't say sharp. He was surviving. He looked like a major league pitcher. He looked like a major league pitcher from the Reagan era. (laughs) (laughs) Throwing 85 miles an hour over the middle of the plate. And once people started timing his shit, he really fell off a... fucking cliff two and a thirds innings seven runs given up um and it wasn't anything like oh there's a blooper here it's like people were mashing yeah i think you have what two or three homers yeah it got bad yeah 
so he didn't make it long. Uh, Luke Jackson came in, did not clean it up. Um, but, I mean, that was just a brutal game to watch. It was like, it started at 7, and then it gets to be like 11 o'clock, and it's still on. I just went to bed. I couldn't yeah, watch that. It was like the fourth inning. It, it, was, was, yeah. it was painful, man. Uh, but we ended up winning 12 to 10. Your boy Dansby came up huge in that game, too. We were up 11 to 10. He ended. Oh, he had the big hit to make to yeah, make, to make it 12 to 10 yeah, just to get yeah. a little insurance because that game is so crazy that you need as many runs as possible. Like 10 runs wasn't enough to win that game. Mm-hmm. We won 12 to 10. We were up 10 nothing for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. So you got to get as many runs as you can. Dansby has been unbelievable this year with the bat. I know we've, we've elongated this recap like crazy, but it's just sort of the way things are It's kind of just Braves talk now. Yeah. yeah. But um, I guess jump into the, the Red Sox. You mean the most entertaining series of the year? Easily. Like... It's just always fun to play in Boston. You know, it's a place we don't play very often. It's a big historic, monster, historic Fenway. park. Yeah. Uh, and in the broadcast, they were talking about how like the players get a little more jazzed up to play there as well. Oh, yeah, There's no sure. way you can't, even without fans there. It's like, you know, it's just such a unique experience to be there. I mean, I felt the same way when I went um, in 2018. Went to Boston for a Neil Young concert, and the second, the second or third night we were there, it's like let's go to a Sox game. Fuck it. And we sat way up in center field, almost about as high as you could sit. And it was like, but you felt like you were just in a different time. It felt like when baseball was just baseball, you didn't have to worry about any any other bullshit going on in the world. It was just like, it was one of those things when you step into the into the stadium, you just you sort of takes you have to catch your breath a little bit if you're a big baseball fan because it's like, man, this is like one of baseball's most epic, grandest cathedrals that's ever been built, and it's hollow ground. Yeah, it really is. And uh, so yeah, I totally get that from a player's. I mean, I'm sure it's even cooler to fucking play at it. But you know, being there, I was, I was, I just loved every second. And it was really cool also to watch a game where I wasn't stressed out. It was like Red Sox, Blue Jays. Who gives a shit? I'm just here to watch the yeah. baseball. Yeah. Like 20 runs were scored overall. It was like an offensive um, fuck fest. So that was great. <laughs> Eloquently put, Craig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this liquor drink was kind of strong. <laughs> Get ready for the emotions in the second half of yeah, the show. Yeah, Dr. Lecker's coming out, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a little break while we talk uh, about this Red Sox series. Uh, but, yeah, it was great. Max Fried started game one, and he it was an interesting start for Fried because you could tell like he didn't have his fastball control. Um, but what do we say about Max Fried? He's a bulldog. He guts through. He finds a way to... Completely, he gets th- guts his way through five innings. Basically, yeah, I think the he med- went to the curveball yeah. a lot more than he normally would, um, and he knew he didn't have his best stuff. We knew he didn't, but he still got the big outs when he needed to and held them to one run. I think the measure of any great pitcher is what can you do when you don't have your best stuff. Like how, like just like what you said, can you gut your way through five innings if you don't have your fastball or your primary pitch or whatever it is, and you're limited in terms of what you can throw? Uh, how do you fare? Can you really dig deep and make it happen and give yourself, give your team a chance to win? And Max Fried did that in spades, even though I think he knew, everyone in the stadium knew that he didn't have his, his, his best stuff. But like you said, at the end of the day, he got it through five innings. What, did he give up one or two runs? It might have been two. And one of the runs was on a balk. Yeah. Yeah, it was on a balk. That was when they scored their second run. Which and, that, know- and that was odd what he did there to get the balk. It was like he didn't quite step off correctly. And that's just something that, you know, that's a freak accident. If that doesn't happen, he only gives up one run. So, at the end of the day, even though he's going up against a shitty Red Sox lineup that was without J.D. Martinez, you know, it was still a really gutsy effort. And Braves wound up winning the game. So, 
that uh, that Verdugo guy that they have there. Oh yeah, he was he's a beast. Us. All all three games. I mean, I think he must have hit well over 500 during that. He hit like five or six doubles. I mean, the guy was just killing our pitching. Yeah, but Freed gutted his way through. Though I mean, the offense just keeps clicking. Marcelo Zuna been going off that entire series um we had four home runs in the series yeah three in one night yeah the second game when ian anderson's second start who he looked great again well that was yeah that was another thing too i loved about anderson is that he you know he ran into some trouble he got a little more resistance from that red sox lineup than he did from the yankee lineup in his first start and it didn't matter i mean it was it was great to see when he was under duress that there were you know, it was just like how Freed is. It was just like how Soroka is in the sense that he didn't freak out. He didn't pull a faulty. He just bore down, still went six innings, only gave up two runs, pitched pretty effectively. His curveball was on point, and it was, um, you know, he would throw it multiple times at guys. It was great. I can't remember if it was Devers or one of the other batters, but he struck out one of them, one of the Red Sox, with just like a barrage of curveballs. It was like three or four in a row. And the guy kept swinging at it. He fouled off one, I think. But it was just like he's it, – it's like I love the way Ian Anderson can just see what's going on and react accordingly. If a guy's struggling as a curveball and he's ahead of it, don't throw a fastball next. Keep Make him beat you. Well, make him adjust first. He's, he's a very intellectual pitcher. Well, um, and the other thing you're probably forgetting there is he's listening to his veteran catchers. Like sure. Darno and Flowers, like they, but, call, they call a good game. No, I'm not saying they yeah. don't, but but if you but at the end of the day, and I'm not sure how this works uh, exactly with the Braves, but you know if a pitcher d- does Ian Anderson have the ability to shake off a sign, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I will say that in terms of the way he pitches versus someone like Kyle Wright right now, Kyle Wright seems like he goes in there with no strategy. It doesn't matter what the pitcher's doing; he's just trying to strike guys out, sort of thing. Well, I, I think once you don't have like your fastball command, like. Yeah, strategy is kind of out yeah. The maybe window. Ian Anderson just has amazing command, yeah. and that you know equates to success. But at the same time, I feel like some of that has to come from him in the sense that I feel like out of all of our young pitchers, he's one of the guys that I've seen really react to what the batter is giving him and executing based off that. And I just don't see that all the time, even from guys like Tomlin. Even more veteran pitchers. Yeah, and I mean he's. I mean he's got that Mike Soroka presence about him. Yeah, like you can just tell and be like, oh, th- this is a different type of pitcher. Like, yeah, th- this is a different class. Yeah, no, totally from some of the other guys we've seen. Yeah, and you're you're right. All due deference should go to the to the catchers, but I don't know. I just feel like he, at the end of the day, is proving he belongs so far. And I don't care if he gets shelled for ten runs the next start. You keep him up here. He's proven enough at this point, and we have no starting pitching other than Max Free that he's got to have a very long leash at this point. The stuff is there. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's there. He's not going to – people would revolt if yeah. Ian Anderson got Who the fuck are you going to replace him with? Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's a huge piece going forward. Um, Especially when you start to think about the playoffs, right? You know, I'm not saying we're, we're, we're going to make it, but, I mean – I think the playoff percentage right now is 99.5%. But when you're in a – every team has to play in a three-game wild card series this year. Every single team. It doesn't matter who you are, one versus eight, two, seven, et cetera, et cetera. Having Anderson as your second-game starter is huge. It's absolutely huge when you consider without him who your second starter would be. You know, Freed is obviously number one, but after that, 
you know, you have no one other than Anderson. I mean, yeah. it's just so clutch that he's come up here and done, has done what he's done so far. Yeah, it give, gives us some renewed hope for sure. Um, that Atlanta can actually win a playoff round for the first time since 2001. I just want to give heap more and more praise on this bullpen. This pull, this bullpen is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter who, like, A.J. Minter, like, in, uh, I think that was the Philly game, after, like, when everything was starting to go to shit and mm-hmm. he comes in. And, like, he's in the fourth inning. He's a guy who would be a closer for a lot of teams right now, the way that he's throwing. Sure. Like, I mean, he is just off the charts right now. And there's nothing more soothing than seeing Chris Martin come into the game right now as well. Oh, yeah. Despite this high FIP or right. something that we're, <laughs> that we're a little concerned about. Sure. But, uh, I mean, he is like, he's like eight pitches and done. Yeah. Melanson the other night struck very, out the side. Very efficient. Looks unbelievable. Shane just Green. Hitting his corner. Shane Green has been un. Touchable right now. Really, the only guy that hasn't really thoroughly impressed me thus far is Will Smith. Yeah, and and I think he's still finding his groove. I mean, he was out beginning of the year for COVID. Yeah. Um, he's basically in spring training right now. He's been given the home runs has been an issue with him. But, yeah. I mean, he has his moments, and he gutted it. I can't remember if that was against the Sox where he like gave up a couple bombs, but then gutted his way out of the inning. Right. So, yeah. I mean, there's no reason not to think that he can regain his form, especially with. You know, the rest of the season is ahead of us in terms of, like, there's plenty of time. You know, there's 20-plus games now for him to get his shit together. It's kind of like when Shane Green first came over and he just didn't have his shit when he when he came over. He got demoted from being a starter. Then the last – or, excuse me, from being a closer. But the last month and a half, he was pretty much lights out. Hopefully something like that can happen with Will Smith because – and we're doing fine without him. But if you if you have Will Smith on, on top of the guys we have now, especially considering the heavy workload that the bullpen has undergone – it would be really clutch if he can reclaim what he was last year in San Francisco, and I, I think he has the ability to do that looking at his uh, career. You know, he's been a very effective pitcher, very effective reliever of the history of his career. Like you said, Adam, he had a very awkward year doing with the COVID stuff and then having multiple tests. Um, even though he was asymptomatic, he was still come back positive, and it was like, Jesus, I'm sure that was very frustrating. And, yeah, he's only pitched in, what, six, seven games? I mean, let's, yeah. let's give the guy a chance. And also, that's happened later in the season. Let's give the guy a chance to, you know. And the good news is is that he has the ability to have a chance because the bullpen's so good. So, it's okay yeah, if he, he He's not a guy we have to rely on at Right. All. It's okay if he struggles a little bit longer, if that means that we will, by the end of the year, hopefully, we have the Will Smith we envisioned we'd be getting. Even Darren O'Day has been looking really good. Yeah, O'Day's been good. He's been, like, he's been every day O'Day. He's pitching one inning every day and, and doing an exceptional job. And that's one thing we, we saw them doing against the Red Sox is getting bullpen pitchers in back-to-back games, which we haven't really seen too much. So they're kind of trying to build them up for the stretch run as well. Yeah. Um, I've really been impressed with Shane Green, though. I mean, the guy is just not finding a lot of bats. When he does, it's pretty weak contact. Uh, has an ERA under one. Has a whip under one. Um, he's quietly been – arguably the best reliever on the team yeah but like there, there's like no there's no disagreements we can have about the bullpen no, right now like, bullpen's great like bullpen is the best in baseball yeah it's, i don't think anyone has a better bullpen than we do so i mean we just need a guy get us through four innings that's what we need out of a starter right now yeah and i think that's going to be really interesting when postseason comes around when you have to throw a guy like tomlin who i assume is the game three starter at this point I don't think – I mean, I think he's going to end up back in that bullpen as well. Um, I'd rather him start over Robbie Erlin or Malone 
every day of well, the fucking week. Let's, let's let's see what Malone does. Let's give him a little more of a chance he, here. He pitched okay today. Then again, he's facing a Washington Nationals lineup that has sucked all season. In the first game of the doubleheader today, I believe he went four innings. Gave up a run. So it was, it was a lot better than the effort against I the I think Phillies. I like Malone over Ir- Erlin has been terrible, for sure. Yeah, Erlin I had no confidence in. I, I still don't have a lot of confidence in Malone based off even just watching that Philly start. Because, like, that's that's my thing. It's like even, even Tomlin, all these guys, their stuff isn't good enough to last more than three or four innings right now. Well, yeah, I mean, and they, they've said, I mean, Snitker's openly said they just want to get him through the order twice and then turn it over. Even twice order. is a risky. I mean, you saw Tomlin the other night against Philly. You know, they adjusted to him really fast. I mean, that's why I, I prefer having Tomlin in the bullpen because, you know, if you go from Max Fried or Ian Anderson to Josh Tomlin, that's going to throw your rhythm off entirely. Yeah, yeah. And that helps Tomlin, and I think he's much more effective there. But at the end of the day, I'd rather have him starting a game over Robbie Erlin. Yeah. Um, I'm still – so, big moment this coming Sunday – Cole Hamill's supposed to throw a simulated game. Okay. I feel like he's making progress. Like, I, I keep hearing positive reports about him, so I feel like next week or two, we could see Cole Hamill. I mean, it's make great he's Atlanta making progress, debut. but I mean, how, how, and this speaks, I guess, to the strength of the bullpen, but when he comes back, how many pitches is he going to be able to give you? 35, 40? I mean, well, I mean, he's been building the last month. I know, but I mean, I'm just thinking about. So, take for instance a guy like Charlie Morton on Tampa Bay, similar age, a little younger, just came back, um, through two innings, through 40 pitches, still getting stretched out from an uh, injury he was recovering from. And I just feel like we're going to get the same thing from Hamels in the sense, and, you know, once again, I'm not basing this off anything other than uh, a pitcher that is in a similar scenario. But I have a feeling that if Hamels does pitch, he's going to give you two, three innings. And maybe that's all we need, but it would be. Great if he could come back and find that first half of 2019 form, but I think that's just too much to ask at this point. He's, yeah. he's, the best he's going to give you is probably two or three innings. It's just, I mean, it's just nice that we, we feel solid with our one and two, like really solid now with our one and two. And then you've got five different names to choose from for three. Yeah, but none, for, of, those, none of those names do anything for you, though. You don't have any confidence. No, if, no. You go to the, if you go to the NLDS this year, I have zero confidence of winning because – you just don't have a good third starter. You're going to have to pitch Max Fried on two days rest. But knowing the ups and downs of Fulte career, you would not be surprised if he comes back up and is great. Maybe. I don't know. But that's the thing. You know? There's just so many variables. Like, is Newcomb going to get another chance? Is Fulte going to get another chance? A, I don't think you give Newcomb another chance as a starter. Well, here, I, I think, or, or Kyle Wright. I don't know. Like, I give Kyle Wright another chance. Well, the thing that frustrates me, and I know this has been a big point of contention on, on Braves' Twitter, since the trade deadline, is the man uh, is, is two positions. When Acuna was injured, he's back off the DL. But when he was injured on the Sunday Phillies game, it's like here comes Ender Enciarte, who gives you nothing. Statcast has reported that he has the lowest exit velocity of any any player in the history of when they started tracking exit velocity, which I think was over the last ten years or so. Seventy-seven point seven miles an hour. There are high school kids. There are middle school kids. Who have who have better exit velocities than Ender Enciarte? I mean, that is absolute trash. Have you seen the contact he's been making, even when he gets hits? 
It's hilarious. It's, it's awful. It's, it's, it's like a grandmother swinging out there. He's pathetic offensively. What the fuck is wrong with saying Christian Pache? Here's your chance when when Acuna's out. Go out there. There's no pressure on you to do anything. You can hit ninth, and you can like. I don't understand. And you already started his service time. It's not like we gain any more years of service time because he's already been brought up this year. What advantage do we have by plugging Ender's horrible bat into the lineup when Acuna's not healthy? Or at all? Like, why can't Pache be on the bench ready to go when Acuna's out? Like, playing Ender Enciarte when Acuna's not there is just absolute bullshit and, and preaches more to why I just can't stand Brian Snicker sometimes. Like, or whoever's making the decisions. I don't know if that's Anthopolis. I don't know if that's Snifker. But w- would you not disagree that having Ender is just total bullshit over Pache? There's no pressure on Pache to do anything. Even if his bat's not there, I'd rather him strike out 30 times and wallow in the muck a little bit and build some character and see some major league pitching than have a guy he, a guy playing every day who has no future in this organization. It's yeah. bullshit. I, I don't have an explanation for that one, Graham. I, I agree with you there. You know how I feel about the Snicker bashing. I think that's out of line. Well... But but don't you? But if he's part of making that decision, which I assume he is as the manager of the baseball team, that's just not well, good. Pa- that's well, not good management. Well, Pache hasn't even been on the roster the last couple of weeks. I know, but I don't know why he isn't. It's absolute bullshit. Well, it's troublesome, is what it is, Graham. Is because they know a lot more about Pache than we do. But what's but but he can't be any worse than Ender offensively. He could be. Even if he is, I'd rather him I understand, go but, through the struggles. They, I'd rather him at least get some experience because he's not doing dick down in Gwinnett. They're doing simulated games. Fine. Who gives a shit? He's, he's not good enough. This is, this is from Scott Coleman, which I totally agree with on Talking Chop. He's not good enough to be traded. Or no, sorry. He's too good to be traded, but he's not good enough to play over Ender and Ciarte, which is just total horse shit. Yeah. No, I, I'm not, I'm not going to argue on this point, yeah. Junior. Um, but I just am curious for... I would like some explanation on yeah, there it, needs especially to, with st- starting the service clock on him. Yeah, it just seems like if you're – yeah, if, if he's really not – I don't know. I don't even know what to say. I, I, I think I've said all I can on that subject. Yeah, I mean, clearly he's – they don't see him being ready for whatever yeah. reason. Um, did you hear about, like, what Anthopolis said about Tucker Davidson? He's like, oh, he's, he's nowhere close to ready to get called Yeah, up. and you know so, what? I mean, if someone's like that – uh, that unprepared, or you really think the stuff's not there, and so be it, and so be it. Yeah, I, I mean, mean it's, it's a fine line because you don't want to bring these guys up and they just lose their confidence. Yeah, they just get swatted. Which is what we've seen with so many of our prospects. So far, right, but I also Tukey, think Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright. Now you can say that Kyle Wright hasn't been given a fair shake at the end of the day as well. I mean, you look at his, his time has been very sporadic, and I've also been an anti Kyle Wright guy, kind of. But he hasn't had a chance to really develop. He, he's on such a short leash um, that he just gets yanked anytime he has a bad start, and most of the time that's been what it is. But how can you build off anything if you don't have a chance to even stay long enough to, I don't know, sleep in a hotel in Atlanta? Yeah. it's It's been tough, but at the end of the day, we love this baseball team. Sure. Am I wrong, Graham? We do and love the baseball team. The recap that hasn't been as clear... <laughs> We're still in the recap. (laughs) It hasn't been as clear and concise as last week's recap. Uh, Braves sweep the Red Sox. uh, First time in history an NL player has hit three home runs at Fenway Park 
and Marcelo Zuna. And then Duvall does the same thing the very next night. And no one was more excited about it than Ozuna. Love me some Ozuna. We got to start talking, re-signing Ozuna. The problem is, Adam, in terms of your Alex Anthopoulos, you find these guys who have had down years, who have had better years in the past, who can play at a kind of an MVP level. Then they outperform what you think they're going to do in Atlanta. Then you can't afford them because we're cheap. So, unfortunately, Ozuna is playing his way out of Atlanta after this year, in my opinion. There's, I will bash my head into a door if we resign him. That seems like a stretch because I think it's fully impossible that we resign him still. Well, but he's going to demand so much money. I mean, if you look at what his pace is, if this was a normal season, he would be on pace to hit 50 home runs. It was a 162-game season based off where he is right now after 30-plus games. That's where he'd be at. His agent's going to come there. They're going to demand a shit ton of money. This guy's still, I think, either 28 or 29. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll – He's going to demand I, I, a four- to five-year deal like Donaldson, the same a range di- as Donaldson. The big difference in Donaldson and Ozuna is, far, like, I think we will pay up for a younger Ozuna, assuming the DH continues in the NL. That's a big if thing. If the DH can – I mean, even if it doesn't, his bat is so good right now. That might drive his price down a little bit because his glove is atrocious. Sure. So maybe there's a chance, but I yeah. just feel like he's playing his way, just like Donaldson did, Ozuna's playing his way out of Atlanta. Which, but, like, you know, the Donaldson thing in hindsight – Donaldson's back now playing with the Twins. He had home run today. I do know that much. But Austin Riley. Austin Riley's been, been hot. crushing it. He's hitting like 360 over the last 13 games. Driving in big-time runs, too, um, against the, the Red Sox. He, I think it was one-to-one. Bases were loaded. He takes a pitch the other way, hits it into the right field corner. Uh, he, he's had multiple opposite field hits. And he had and his base hit into the right field corner, drove in three runs, and he had a triple. But he's had multiple opposite field hits recently. He's just been – nothing's getting by him. Yeah, he's, he is June Austin Riley – June 2019 Austin Riley right but now. But it's different because June Austin Riley 2019 was pulling everything. That's true. This guy, he's going to – like I said, he's going to center, he's going to right. He's he's made adjustments. Yeah. I guess I mean in terms of how hot he is. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. Um, yeah, he's a different player. And, I mean, I keep preaching. you got to give these guys a chance. Like – and that was the big thing with this trade deadline to get to that after the Braves swept the Red Sox. Um, for Clevenger, they were asking for two of Pache, Waters, Ian Anderson, Austin Riley. So two of those guys? Yes. So we're, we're not talking like Drew Rodder, Waters, Tucker Davidson. Like people want guys on our current major league roster um, yeah that, which I mean, you can understand right especially for a pitcher of clevenger's clout i think um and now that we've seen ian anderson and you see what austin riley could be these aren't guys that you want to just like give away all willy-nilly clevenger is a game changer though Although, i think clevenger has much more of a track record than riley or especially Anderson. I mean, Riley could regress again in two weeks and we could forget all about this hot streak. I mean, I still don't think, even though Riley's playing his ass off right now, it's not time to say, okay, we know who our third baseman of the future is. I think he's still on trial. You can't, you can't get that excited about this without forgetting about his horrid, horrid start to the season where he was three for 31 against fastballs, for Christ's sake. I mean, the progress has been great, but let's remember where he started. He was hitting like a buck 80. 
low batting average balls in play. Just just an awful, awful season. Now he's turning around. Don't get me wrong. It's tough to say, yeah, we should have made the Clevenger deal in some respects, but I feel like we well, have... Especially not knowing what the deal was 100%. Right. But I, I still feel like we have zero chance of, of, of winning anything of, of substance this year because we don't have enough starting pitching, and we are... To a, yeah, it's just. It's I don't just know why you back, back yourself in a corner with zero percent. Like, you got to put out a little bit higher okay, number. Okay, we have five percent chance of winning the World Series this year. Okay, that's pretty good. Whereas someone like the Dodgers, hell, even the Padres, I would I would almost say have a better chance of winning the damn World Series than we Padres do. Padres are losers. They they bring in a bunch of. You can't just build chemistry by bringing it's in. It's not random just chemistry. I'm, the, the the results are speaking for themselves right now. You remember when Zach they, Davies is a good pitcher. They just got Clevenger. Machado's having a great year. Tatis Jr.'s having a great year. They they don't have as good of a bullpen as us, but I'd say they have a better rotation than we do. They did this a few years ago and when they brought in Kimbrell. And yeah, but they, but they sucked. They sucked. They're, they've been kicking ass this year. They're right. only four games behind the Dodgers or something like that. Why don't, why don't you go move to San Diego with Hugo? Adam, I'm just, I'm just acknowledging, and that was Mark Andre, by the way. Sorry. Not, not Hugo. Hugo's here. <laughs> uh, or Tucker, excuse me. But I'm just acknowledging that the Padres are putting their, their chips in the middle of the table, and the Braves are not. And the Padres are having success, unlike when they traded for Kimbrell and B.J. Upton and Justin Upton and all that shit. So you can't compare those two teams because th- those, those teams were DOA. This team is having success, and they're going to go to the postseason, and they are a threat to the Dodgers. We are not a threat to the Dodgers with this starting rotation. It's just, just not. We're a threat to the Dodgers. Do you remember... The lineup: Kershaw, that, Bueller versus Kershaw ain't shit. We're gonna cr- Bueller has like a four or five ERA. I don't care. I would still take those guys' stuff over our rotation right now. I would take Fulte's stuff. <laughs> like you a stuff guy now. Kyle Wright's got great stuff. Don't give me stuff. I'm just saying. I mean, I know those guys haven't won the World Series, but those guys win in the postseason. Dude, we could the, go the, bullpen the, games and win a series. Maybe. The point is, Graham, and we need to get into the Falcons. The, the, the point is is that we did nothing at the trade deadline to improve our ball club, and there is a glaring need to do so. Whether you think that's right or wrong is up to whoever you are. But don't come to me in October when Josh Tomlin is up seven runs in a postseason game because we didn't go out and get another pitcher. And I know the Rangers were asking the world for Lance Lynn, and Lance Lynn hasn't had a good season in like four or five years, so I get that. And maybe the deal wasn't right. But Anthopolis is so cute with his prospects. He's so cute with them. And yet we can't play them over shitty guys like Erlen and Malone and Enciarte. I just don't fucking understand it. It's ridiculous. Do you know what our record is with Erlen starting? I know. He, we've won a lot of games. Think about what our offense is, though, Adam. Our offense is great. Exactly. You and I could go out there and we'd have a chance because our offense scores like eight runs a game. And our offense, Graham... And that's the point I was trying to get to as far as postseason chances. Our offense that just crushed over the last week did not have Ronald Acuna. So we just replaced Ender Enciarte with Ronald frickin' Acuna that's Jr. That's like making a trade deadline deal and that in and of itself, right? Who hit, Chip Carey? Who hit two home runs in his first game back. Yeah, I know. For that's, the that's great. Our offense is stacked. There's no denying that. One through seven, it's stacked. Even Camargo has started to show a little signs of life with the bat. Now it's one through nine with Acuna back. Sure. But who's our ninth guy? Just Camargo. And, and we still have Ozzy coming back. <laughs> Come on. Maybe. I don't know if Ozzy's ever coming back this uh, year. Ozzy took BP today. Oh, wow. That's a big 
he hasn't taken BP and, and Eon. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, our offense is good, but the problem is is that the offense is so good, the bullpen is so good, rotation ain't ain't squat other than Freed and uh, Anderson. Even Anderson is so unproven. It's like you're literally riding on Max Freed right now. He's carrying this rotation. You act like you're making some points here that people don't already know. I'm just saying we did nothing to improve our team, Adam. Yeah, everyone knows that, Graham. Well, what do you, how do you feel about that? I, I would have rather we got someone, but I also don't think trading the world for Lance Lynn in a year when there's zero sellers. Would you have given up Pache and Anderson for Clevenger? No. Okay. 100% no. Would you give up Waters and Riley for, Andrew, or for Clevenger? Because then you got a third horse in your rotation. Maybe, but like you, you yourself said, he's got some injury history. He does. Him. He does. Last that year. I, that I think you, if we had traded for him, you would probably be screaming about how terrible the deal is because of his terrible injury history. No, because even though he hasn't had a great season so far this year, he hasn't had a bad year, and he has enough data to confirm that he's a excellent starting pitcher. Did you say Riley and Waters? Yeah. I think that's too much. Then what do we do at third base next year? Figure it out. Camargo? You got to win. You got to win. You can't win with this rotation. You have Anderson, Freed, Clevenger. Maybe you got a chance. I think we have a chance either way. You have a hell of a lot better chance, I How think. How many games have we won with Tomlin and Erland starting? I don't a care. Sh- a shit ton. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. The Braves rotation. You don't care, you don't I, care about winning? No, I don't care about. What, what are you, Joe Simpson? Like, you have to have. Five great starters now. No, to win. you don't have to have five great starters, but you gotta have more than one. Anderson, you can't even say is a great starter. He's had two starts. I love the kid more than anybody. He's not a guy you can go in and just say, you know, he's 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 immaculate. He's Brewers perfect. had playoff success a couple years ago with Chasin as their number one starter. They didn't fucking win a championship. Are you in to win championships, Adam? Or are you there to go to the postseason? Because that's what we're doing right now. We're just gonna go to the postseason. Our brand is just go to the postseason and lose. I fucking and then hate bitch it. About don't it. you want to change that? You know what I love about Boston? And I hate the Red Sox and the Patriots. They won a championship in 2018. They've already fired their manager. I know some of that was over the Astros ship. They had a bad year last year. And on top of that guy being part of the Astros organization, they fired him. They did the same thing with Terry Francona. Terry Francona wins two World Series. They get rid of him when they start sucking. We allow for just above mediocrity. Winning division series is good enough to keep a job. And I fucking can't stand it. Same thing with the Falcons, with Dan Quinn. Back-to-back 7-9 seasons. You start off 1-7. Come on back, my friend. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's a, it's a loser mentality. That's why we, have, we only have one championship in 50-plus years as a professional sports city. I guess two if you count United. Starting to think we have a third person on this podcast. Dr. Licker? Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny part is I haven't only had one... <laughs> the funny part is I've only had one drink so far. Okay. Well, we do need to get into our Falcons stuff, Graham. To wrap up the Braves, yes, I understand we need another starter. But let's see how this plays out. We've got about four or five guys that could fill that role. Maybe someone steps up. Before we move on to the Falcons, why can't we bring up Fulty and see what he's got? Is he just not ready? Does he need more time? He's building, yeah. I want to see him next week or the week after. I think you'll see him the week after. We cannot go into the postseason with fucking they're Tomlin not, as our they're, third They're not going to go Tomlin or Erlin. It's not going to happen. All right. 
Well, someone's got to step up and be it faulty, be it right, be it Newcomb. I don't care. Kyle, I, don't I would care. rather see new. I, I would see any anyone, but who we have right now. You got to remember, Erlen. I mean, these guys are keeping you in games. That's like the whole deal. I know, but you can't do that. And uh, new, give me your new, attitude in the postseason, Adam. Newcomb, but it can't. Like if you like Newcomb and faulty, you're not going to be playing the Red Sox in the playoffs. You're not going to be hitting three home runs a night. Or four or five or whatever. You're not going to go back-to-back games in three bombs with two different guys. That's just not going to happen. Could. Not against teams with better starting. You're not going to do that against you, Darvish. You're not going to do that against Kershaw. You're not going to win. Kershaw, why do you keep bringing up Kershaw? Kershaw hasn't been good in like three years. That's not true. Base, the, base that off what? Let's not get into debate about Clinton Kershaw. I'm just saying, when you've got teams in the playoffs, and we've seen this, Adam, for the last 20 years... That teams that make the postseason have great rotations and they destroy our lineups. They destroy our no matter how good we are. Think about the 2003 team with Sheffield and Chipper and Andrew, beaten to a pulp by the fucking Cubs, who had a great rotation that year. It's like we have to be able to match a rotation. Our offense is good, yes. Can they do what they're doing now in the postseason? I don't know. And history says we had it just like last year. We had a good offense. Shit the bed. I know there are a lot of extenuating circumstances, but Freddie Freeman's wrist and whatnot, but I, I just, I don't feel good right now about, thinking about post regular season is fine, I don't give a shit about that anymore we have a playoff seed already cinched up, but I, I fear for this team in the, in the postseason Make everyone feel good about their team, as always Junior. I'm just trying to be a realist I know you're a, you're a snicker apologist, and optimistic guy which is great. Isn't it better to live your life optimistically, Graham? Well, Adam, you've got to also base your life in reality, which is this team has not won a playoff series since 2001 with a lot of really, I'd say, pretty decent teams. You and know it, what that means, Graham? That means that we haven't gotten the right people in here at the end of the day. It means we're due. If anyone's due, it's the Braves. That's for damn sure. And the last time a, there was a short and regular season, we were the champions. There you go. So, I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it just feels like we haven't done anything to improve our, our, our stature. Although our stature is already pretty decent. It's just like... We, man, we, we have not lost since the trade deadline. We've been playing the Red Sox since the trade deadline. Now we're playing the Nationals, who also suck. We're playing two last-place teams. This is like when it was 2003, and we beat the Marlins 19-1 to the day before the playoffs started, or two days before the playoffs, and we got our butts kicked by the Cubs. It doesn't matter once you get to the playoffs. This isn't too, I wish it were 2003, Graham. 2003 was probably a much better year than 2020. Yes. But it's 2020, so 2003 isn't relevant right now. Well, last year, we were playing a Cardinals team that, that is the easiest team we've had in 20 years to play, and we shit the bed. It's because Chris Martin got hurt. It's not just that. It's because they didn't keep Tomlin in. It's also because we only pitched Mike Soroka one game and didn't start Max Fried at all. That is true. So it's just like, I'm con- like Snickers got to prove it to me that he, he can try to win a postseason with his managerial skills. What would you do if <laughs> this playoff series or he starts free, like Robbie free starts game, game three? <laughs> well, you know, you got to think about it. Let's say we don't have any change in the rotation, right? I mean, what do you do? Do you try to just go out there and win every, you know, do you say, all right, and, uh, Freed Anderson and then Tomlin? Or do you do, mm, just in case you lose one of these games, we've got to have Anderson or Freed. Freed's the better pitcher. I could see... I could see the machinations of Brian Snicker's mind. He's from that Bobby Cox old school way of thinking. I could see him doing something like that, which would be so fucking stupid. Be hilarious. 
And then we win like 10 to nothing that game. And then it's like genius. Yeah. So we'll see. Graham, we got to talk Falcons. All right. Football. Yeah, we're, football. We're already an hour into this episode. Jesus. It's going to be a Joe Rogan esque. I might, I might take my shirt off at this point. Man. It's fucking. Actually, we, we, the studio is being used in about an hour, so we do need to kind of. Uh, All right. Get out of here. Uh, Atlanta Falcons season, Graham. 2020. Yeah. It's going to be starting up here in uh, a week. September 13th against the Seahawks. Adam, I have one request for this uh, preview show. What's that? No game-by-game game breakdowns being like, oh, we might win that game, we might lose that game, but not that Yeah, I know, that'd be absurd. We could talk about who we're going to play, but we don't have to do the game-by-game uh, game predictions because that's just a fool's errand. Yeah, here, yeah, I, I've got no idea what we're going to talk about for this right. <laughs> preview segment. Uh, I don't think we have an outline. At least it didn't get sent to me. No. Uh, as far as schedule is concerned, I have heard we have the toughest schedule in the NFL. But, you know, those things are always kind of weird. Well, like, we play a lot of good teams. You play Kansas City. You play the Vikings. You play Packers. You obviously have to play the Saints. And everybody's saying Tampa Bay ain't going to do shit, but I'm kind of afraid of them. They also just got Leonard Fournette. They have a very potent offense. Fuck what anyone has to say about Brady's arm because, let me tell you, you don't need a great arm when you got Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. The Panthers, I don't think, are anything to sneeze at either, though I think they're definitely at the bottom of the, the division. Then you gotta go out and play the NFC West, so you got the Chiefs, um, Seahawks, obviously. Yeah, and then you play NFC North, so you gotta play the Packers. It's not gonna be an easy year for sure. You gotta play the Cowboys as well. They're they're always at least decent. There's really no, there's not a lot of games on the schedule where you're like, oh well, you know, barring a fucking catastrophe, like, uh, you know, it's not like we're going to play the Redskins or something. You know, there's no game on the, the schedule we look at. It's like. You can check that one off as a, as a victory. Well, let's start. I think we need to start this off with the most important acquisition we had okay. of the offseason. And I want to see how you're feeling about Sterling Hoffrichter. See a punter. Rookie punter. We drafted him, correct? Drafted him. Seventh round draft I'm pick. Totally we're, we're fine replacing with... Matt Bosher. Well, Is I he going to be the X Factor? Well, Bosher didn't even punt by the end of the season last year. I don't think. Yeah, he's replacing whoever was the punter. Can't remember that guy. Yeah, I can't either. But, but I'm a punter named Sterling. That seems like a punter. That name, seems right? like a punter from 1994. I'm I'm definitely in line with that. And I think it's good that we that we are trying to. I mean, honestly, there's not many seventh round picks that do much in the NFL. So why not try to go out and get a punter? <laughs> I mean, shit. Good punters can change games. I mean, you looked at. Some of the success of, of last season's Tennessee Titans playoff run can be attributed to how fucking good their punter was. He punted, like, I think at least four times in each game. And every single time, he was pinning guys within the 10-yard line, it seemed like. Stud. Uh, yeah, I don't even know his name. But so, I remember he was your favorite player during yeah, that playoff. I love playoffs. that guy. Yeah. yeah. I would have um, traded the farm for him. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've, we've been the Cal Bosher years where it'd just be like, I'm pumping 30. Matt Bosher? Sorry, Matt Bosher. Uh, years when he would just punt it and go like 30 yards or something or just, you know, wouldn't do anything to help us in terms of field position with a defense that is subpar. So I haven't heard any reports of Sterling being a big hitter like Matt Bosher, so we'll find, I don't care about that. We'll, we'll I'm find fine that out that. early on. I don't need I don't need a punter. To, you know, the biggest thing that people remember about Matt Bosher, the two things I remember is that hit he had on that Panthers guy and that horrible fucking onside or uh, squib kick he had that went out of bounds against the Seahawks in the 2013 NFC Divisional round. We almost fucking lost. 
Like he doesn't. He did, he never did anything to me that did us a favor in the kicking game to help us out in terms of field position. I can't think of one single moment where he pinned a, pinned the ball, corner coffin kicking like a man in 05. Sure. None of that shit. He wasn't, you know, there's nothing where he's pinned a guy within the 10 yard line. I'm you, sure there is, but it's few and far between, I'm sure. You definitely had a lot more passion and took my joke segment a lot more seriously than I anticipated. I'll talk about some punting, man. I think punting <laughs> is one of the most overlooked things in the NFL. So we got Sterling coming in, so that's huge. Uh, that's actually a decent way to go, though. Let's, let's, should we just talk about some of these free agent acquisitions? Free and, agent draft. Etc. Sure. Dante Fowler, you want to talk about him a yeah, Dante bit? Fowler, I've, I've been hearing great things about Dante Fowler. Um, I think the good news about Dante Fowler, he's coming off a season where he had, I think, nine or ten sacks. A lot of people mentioned that, oh, well, he was playing next to Aaron Donald in L.A. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, he's going to play next to Grady Jarrett here. Grady Jarrett's the top three defensive tackle, probably behind Donald and Fletcher Cox. So it's not like he's a fucking scrub. So we should, I think, expect... Dante Fowler to replicate his production from last year, if not be a little better. Yeah, like I mean, this this D line is looking awesome, uh, and you got to remember. So who else we got in the D line, Adam? We got Tack. Tack. Who's apparently pissed off and motivated. Yeah, pissed off and motivated. We didn't pick up his fifth year option. Uh, you get he actually gets to play on the other side of a motivated football player in Dante Fowler Jr. instead of Vic. Lazy Beasley. I just hope Tack can stay healthy because I I feel like Tack has never been able to get into a rhythm because he gets he gets hurt. You know I don't think he's had a complete season yet or even gotten. I think he's gotten to 14 games once, but I think all his other years he's been banged up, missed multiple games. I know he missed three or four, five games last year. Um, I really hope he can stay healthy and prove it and get a good contract for him because I know how excited we were when he came to this team and was drafted. I think in 2016 or 17, with he had the picture of his grandma and talking about his grandma raised him and. He made a promise to her that he was going to make the NFL and how fired up he was. And he just, you know, he's had flashes, and he gets the quarterback. He just can't bring him down. So, And then he couldn't stay healthy. So I really hope he can have a good year this year. Um, I'm glad that he's pissed off. I'm yeah. glad that he's motivated. No, I feel good about him. Dante Fowler, obviously Grady, Marlon Davidson so on the inside. Marlon Davidson was our second or third round draft pick. Out second, of second, second round, round pick at Auburn. He's going to miss, I think, the first game of the year. I have not heard this. Yeah, Adam, so in camp, Marlon Davidson strained his knee. And so Coach Quinn has said it will take him a few weeks to get back into the flow of things once he returns from said injury. So he will probably, I would assume, and this uh, was reported on September 1st by Von McClure of ESPN, who covers the Falcons for ESPN. So I would assume we're not going to see Marlon Davidson for at least the first two games of the season. Hmm. Well, that's a shame. He's, he's the guy I've been most excited about seeing at this point. Right, and he's been talking a lot about, you know, he had a, a quote that came out on social media saying he's following Grady Jarrett around like he's a gnat at a barbecue, uh, which I thought was a hilarious line. I, I, I love his fucking swagger, man. I just, I, I, I'm all about what he's bringing to the table. I hope he gets over this knee strain fast and can be a force on the defensive line because he had a very productive career at Auburn. So um, let's just hope he gets healthy and gets healthy fast. Well, it's just good to see. I feel like they've kind of drafted in terms of not what they need immediately, but players that could fill an immediate need, but it's more future-looking, if you know what I'm saying. In a, in a sense, but I think you can also look at who is next to Grady Jarrett. Can you remember who played next to Grady Jarrett last year? Usually, um, what's his face? Why can't I remember, not remember that? Davidson. Jackson. Johnson. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can't remember 
Like, I can't remember Crawford. Either. Jack Crawford. Well, Jack Crawford was a D, like, he sort of rotated, but there was the uh, the Saints guy, the former Saints player, whose name escapes me at this moment. Oh, he's actually good. But he was okay. He was good in run stopping situations, but I, I can't think of like an all-purpose other nose tackle to yeah. play next to Grady and disrupt. He's never had that. Grady Jarrett's been the John Abraham of this era of the Falcons, where he's been the only real consistent guy on the defensive line. He's had to carry that line. I mean, getting seven sacks as a defensive tackle is, is superb. Speaking and he's of, doing that with no one, almost zero help. Yeah. Imagine if, if Fowler can be big this year and if uh, Davidson can be big this year, how much, like, Grady could get ten sacks this year, if not more. Uh, more tackles for loss than he already gets. And the other guy who was a big name last year, John Comiskey, he's gotten some good rave, some rave reviews so far from Dan Quinn, and it was like, it's one of those things where the media just asks him, like, who's kind of stood out for you? And I think he mentioned A.J. Terrell and then Comiskey. Like, no one, like, asked about Comiskey. He was just like, this guy's standing out, and he's supposed to play on the inside of the line uh, and basically replace Jack Crawford. So, I mean, I feel like there's a little more depth there than we're used to and just um, higher-end talent potential. So... I'm excited to see what these lines do. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting, too, because even though, you know, you expect a lot from Davidson, a guy like Kaminsky could sneak up and put his stamp on the on the season, potentially. Um, and there was a lot of good things to say about him last year. He didn't really get as much of a chance, but I think this year he's going to have more of a chance. I mean, if Tack McKinley goes down, who are you going to put outside, you know? Yeah. It could easily be Kaminsky. So, yeah, Dante Fowler, that's the big free agent signing. Um Last thing on him, somebody in the know in the Falcons organization, well, in the media, predicted that he could be a bigger free agent signing than Johnny Ram. Johnny Ram is arguably the best defensive end we've ever had. Yes. So, I mean, this they've seen him practice, and, like, I mean, you got to think, this guy's a first-round pick, like, three years ago, and he was injured his entire rookie year. So keep that in mind. So there's him. And then, obviously, the other big name, Todd Gurley. He's been getting rave reviews as well. The offensive line has been just so stoked about him. Just And they keep referencing plays where it seems like a dead play, but his speed to the outside has been there, his explosiveness. And if that's the case, that is extremely promising. Yes, that, that, that is extremely promising. I think that also the great thing about this Falcons rushing attack is we know that Ito Smith and Brian Hill – uh, both of those guys can do damage. We know Quadri Allison is a goal line beast as well. So Tom Gurley does not have to carry the rushing attack completely on his shoulders. He can be good for 15, 20 touches a game and let Brian Hill get 10 touches. Let Ito get five touches. Whatever. Let Allison handle, like, super goal line. Whatever. Like, that, that's the thing. It's like if you get a healthy Todd Gurley this year, healthy enough to get you know, 1,000 yards, 10, 12 touchdowns, how huge would that be to have, like, for the first time since Devontae? And, and, and Tico and Tevin Coleman being able to say that we have an effective rushing attack. And the, the great thing about having three guys behind him that we feel relatively confident in is he wanted to be ready for playoff time, like end of the year, like a couple years ago with the Rams where he couldn't play at all. It's because they use him too much throughout the year. So we can, like you said, 15, 20 touches somewhere in there and just supplement with those other three guys. Um, and I also heard about Todd Gurley. The Rams apparently, you know, I'm not, 
I've always said I can't really look at an offensive line and tell if they're great or not. Like, you can tell if someone's getting crushed. Right. But, like, I'm not going to be able to sit here and diagnose people's offensive lines. Sure. But the word around town is the Rams last year had one of the worst offensive lines in the league. And we had also one of the worst uh, offensive lines in the league. <laughs> so, But we're, 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 we're better this year. I think with uh, Chris Lindstrom, Caleb McGarry, they've gotten good feedback. I mean, if those guys are playing up to snuff, we know what we're getting with Alex Mack, even though he's getting older. We know he can still be effective. We know Jake Matthews is good. Uh, I guess the question is, who's that other guard? Matt Hennessy. So he, okay. he, he was our third-round pick this year. He's, so he, you're going to plug him in? I love that Jamon Brown and Car- – who got cut? Jamon Brown got Jamon cut. Jamon Brown was signed to like a four- or five-year deal for $40 million, and he's been cut. He's like the uh, second coming of Tyson Jackson, that guy we signed from Kansas City on defensive line, who was just a free agent signing, who was a knee-jerk reaction to fill a hole. That guy sucked last year, and that's no nothing against him. He couldn't stay healthy. But I think it said a lot when he was healthy. By the end of the season, he wasn't even playing. And we signed him for a lot of money, particularly for that position. Yeah, I mean, it, it was pathetic. Yeah, and I, I guess it was a little – Brown is the younger of the two. So it's a little surprising that they cut Brown instead of Carpenter. But I, mean, I, guess, I, I guess Carpenter just has like, he's just, he's not going to kill you versus Jamon Brown could crush you. I, and they're, they're death pieces. I, well, I can't even tell the difference between them because, I mean, those guys were coming in expecting to start. Right. And it didn't and work they out. did, and they sucked. So, Matt Hennessy, if you'll recall, he's the guy we got a third round pick center right. to replace Alex, Alex Mack. Eventually. And Let's hope he's not a, a Peter Kahn's. Eventually replacing Troy Mc, or Todd McClure. Right. It is oddly similar in the circumstances, yeah. but I think Peter Collins was a stretch also. When we, I think we drafted him in the second round, right? Yes. So a lot of people were surprised Hennessy was there in the third round, including the Falcons. Like He was second-round talent. He was there. And I mean, he's, just, he's been playing 95% of the snaps in, with the first-team offense at guard. So it seems like the job is his with Carpenter backing him up. Um, I actually like that. They, they've been getting good reviews. Like it's very promising yeah. to hear. He's been showing out. Well, I think that's good because, you know what, um, I mean, that's the thing I've always been frustrated sometimes about with the Falcons. It's like you draft guys in the second or third round and we don't see them. Like think about Deidre Sonat, who's just kind of like falling off the face of the planet. I mean, I, I think he's still on the roster, but expectations for him out of LSU were pretty high. He hasn't done anything. Duke Riley, another guy, second round. Well, he just sucked. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying. It's like, you know, some of those guys were given opportunities. Some of them weren't over the years. But it's like, it's cool to hear that we're getting good reviews out of a guy who's playing a premium position. And I think it balances the offensive line nicely because you have three young guys. You have two second years, one first year. You have an experienced veteran in Matthews, and you have a super veteran yeah, in that's good Alex Mack to carry the team. It's a good balance of young and old. It's not like any of these guys are over the hill. It's not like any – and then you also have, you know, some of them are very young, but, like, I'm happy to hear that a third-round pick is just getting thrown to the fire a little bit and let's say, let's see what you got as opposed to being like, oh, you know, Brown's the uh, – Jamon Brown's the uh, the veteran, so we got to start him. It's like I'm, I'm glad about this sort of aggressive approach being like, no, we drafted this guy in, in the third round for a reason. He's coming here to play, uh, play guard and let's, let's fucking go. Yeah, see – I mean, I love him starting. You got um, Carpenter is he's fine as a backup. That's a, you can plug him in. He's not going to kill you. You've got um, Gano as a backup tackle. 
as well. So there's some progress here, Graham. There's some sure. progress. Yeah. And as far as the draft picks, the other guy that has gotten really good reviews as well, which is also promising, our fourth-round pick, Michael Walker out of Fresno State. I've heard he's a linebacker, correct? Yep, yep. linebacker out of Fresno heard State. excellent things about him moving all over the field. He's fast. He's got apparently he's just smart as hell. Like, yeah, being very disruptive in passing scenarios, being able to read formations well on the offense. Uh, yeah, everybody's saying that he's doing a really good job picking up the playbook, which is great because we need help in linebacker core considering that Deion Jones is really the only guy there that you can rely on. Foyer is pretty solid. Foyer is solid, but, I mean, like, if uh, Michael Walker can be, um, you know, better than – I'm not saying Foyer is bad, but Foyer is just, like, to me at this point, he's just a solid guy. If you can get someone in between Deion Jones, who should be a stud, even though sometimes he doesn't play like he is, but he should be, and Foyer, who's decent, and then if you you get Walker can be in between those guys, you know, better than Foyer – uh, hopefully, I mean, hopefully the sky's the limit and he's as good as Deion Jones. But you know, you can't you can't hope for the world from a rookie when you haven't seen maybe him play. Maybe Lawrence Taylor, Graham. Ah, shit, maybe he is. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, it would be nice to have balance where it's like, as opposed to like stud solid. We don't know, which we still don't know. But like, at least give me stud solid, maybe better than solid. Yeah. That would be nice. That'd be good balance within the linebacker court. Yeah. Granted, we haven't seen a single game, not even a preseason game, but no. I feel pretty good about this draft class. Yeah, and I'm expecting Calvin Ridley to take a jump this year. I really think now is the time to see what you can really do, young man, because he's been very boomer bust over his career. If he's not not scoring touchdowns, he usually has a quiet game. Julio's not getting younger. I feel like we've got two more years, including this year, of, like, epic Julio. We've been spoiled our whole lives watching this guy play since 2011. The time is now for Calvin Ridley not to take over but to show that he can be a true number one receiver. Because if we can get another year out of Julio with Calvin Ridley, maybe ascending to, like, top ten receiver status, that would be fucking awesome. Yeah, and the receiving core as a whole, you hear, hear all this nonsense about Mohamed Sanu and bringing him back. Yeah, that doesn't do anything for us. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not opposed to it. I'd rather have him as a third receiver than Russell Gage, but... I don't think it's necessary to do to do that to make that move because I know he got cut. Sanu was cut from the Patriots this week, correct? Which is big news. No one thought that was coming. I, I don't think it's necessary. If they did it, I'm not going to complain. But if they don't, I'm also going to be like, whatever. Because yeah. I, I feel pretty good. Russell Gage played well. You got Laquan Treadwell. He's, now. he's more explosive than Sanu as well. Yeah, you got Laquan Treadwell, who was a Vikings receiver, who was a first round pick, who hasn't really taken off. But a lot of people think. You know, him as a fourth receiver could could do well this year. Okay. I'm not going to complain if he gets you, a new. Your back. boy Zacchaeus is in there as well. Yeah, Zacchaeus is in there. He had that big. He had like one huge, uh, like 70 yard reception from Matt last year for a touchdown. But yeah, I mean, if you go get Sanu, hopefully you can get him at a really cheap price. But if you don't, it's not necessary. I think we'll be all right. Like, I mean, overall, Graham, and I generally do. I have optimism. Like, there's not one unit that I feel like we're going to be trash here. What about the secondary, Adam? Well, you got to love our safeties. We got Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen, and we don't know what you're going to get out and of Keanu. And you Neal. have Kazee as well. Yeah, KZ if when Keanu unfortunately tears his Achilles again or whatever happens to him. I really hope Keanu stays healthy in all seriousness. 
it's been brutal watching him, you know, how hard he works, how much he loves this team and organization in the city. For him to, like, last couple of years, just played two or three games and blown something out, Achilles, ACL. Uh, it's just so sad to, to see that. So I'm hoping he can stay healthy. Safety's overall I feel good about, it. even if Keanu goes down again. Yeah, as you mentioned, KZ played stalwart safety last year when, when Neil went down. So, But, but cornerback-wise, it's a big adventure there, my friend. You got your, you got your boy, A.J. Terrell. Yep. Who's a rookie out of Clemson? We drafted our first round pick this year. Who has gotten rave reviews from everyone, the media, and it's been great because you remember in years past, Julio's not playing in preseason games. Right. He's not in camp much, but he has been in camp and going one on one against Terrell a lot. That's the best fucking experience you can get right there. Come on, I mean, and and Terrell has held his own, and he's going to probably be the number one cornerback covering top receivers on other teams. Yep, I would assume. Yeah. Um, so you got him, you have Kendall Sheffield and Isaiah Oliver, who admittedly played pretty decently last year when they got really thrust into playing more without, um, what's his name, Desmond Trufant when he went out with an injury. You got them, and then you have a big free agent acquisition that happened in August, Adam, which I would like you to tell the users about that we haven't discussed yet. Yeah, so I mean, as you mentioned, we got these young guys, um, rookie, second, third year players that have a lot of potential, but you need that veteran voice in that cornerback room and we signed this cornerback it kind of was under the radar um Darquez Denard so he's 28 years old played in Cincinnati he's a first round pick and you're a pro football focus guy right Graham I like pro football focus I don't think they're perfect but it's a good way to get at least an idea of how effective a player can be beyond the surface level stats. So I'll, I'll, I'll break down the surface level and then the pro PFF. Fantastic. If you will. I love it. So during his six seasons with the Bengals, he had 274 tackles, 22 pass defenses, five tackles for loss, and three interceptions. How many he, years was that? Six. Six. Okay. And he received a 72.2 grade from PFF which was 21st among qualified quarterbacks. And he's a nickel corner. So he could, he's probably going to walk in and be the starting nickel. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so you got him as the veteran along with my boy, Bleedy Ray Wilson. What about KZ? Where does he slot in? When you got Sheffield and Oliver. I know KZ is a better safety than he is a corner, but I, mean, I still think he provides value. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. I, I mean, imagine it's going to be a rotational type deal. Um, maybe, I really don't know. Graham. Maybe based off matchup. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. KZ's the most experienced guy outside of Denard. So, I mean, like, he was the most veteran player out of this cornerback group at this point. So, I mean, I think it's big to, I mean, to bring in a guy like that who, who is actually a decent player and can also bring, hopefully, some leadership to the cornerback uh, squad. Apparently, he was a fan favorite in Cincinnati. We'll have to ask a Cincinnati correspondent, Dave Carson, about that. Right. But he's not here right now. He's not here right now. He's in, uh, what was he, Kentucky? Louisville. Yeah, Louisville. Close yeah. to Cincinnati. The only people we haven't really talked about, I mean, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, you know what you can get from those guys. I know a lot of people hate Matt Ryan. You all can go fuck yourselves. I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and defend the greatest quarterback in the history of the Atlanta Falcons football franchise. And uh, Julio Jones is a world-renowned beast. You don't need to even, nobody doesn't like Julio. Except my mom. My mom sometimes gives Julio shit. I don't what? know why. She'll, she'll be like, I just don't get it. And then he'll put up like this huge game. She's like, I got it. And then she'll do the same thing again. She likes Julio, but she just feels like there's some games where he disappears. Which, sometimes he does. But Well, yeah, if you're triple-covered, Vivian, you're going to disappear. Exactly, yeah, I know. 
I know. I, I, I agree. I, I, I've That's where Calvin about. Ridley comes into play and Hayden Hurst. We haven't really just talked about Let's him. Let's talk about Hayden Hurst a little bit, who was a guy we, we traded for in the offseason from the Ravens, who was the second tight end, who was a first-round pick. He was drafted the same year as Mark Andrews, who's one of the better tight He's probably the second-best tight end in the league, maybe third-best behind Kittle and uh, Kelsey. But Hurst was drafted the same year as Andrews, smaller guy than than Kittle, Kelsey, Andrews, but um, hasn't really had a chance to be the lead tight end because of injuries. Now he's coming to the Falcons, replacing Hooper. He has a chance to to really bust out here and get you know have an 850, 900 yard receiving season, about six touchdowns. I think the guy's hands are fantastic. He only dropped. I think it was like he had a maybe two percent drop rate. I think was the stat on him when he actually got an opportunity to get the ball last year. Um, I think overall in the Ravens' career this last couple of years. So here's a guy who's been playing second fiddle to Andrews. Hasn't had his chance because he was injured when Andrews wasn't. Andrews took the opportunity, ran with it with the Ravens. Now he comes in and can just play the Austin Hooper role and provide security for Matt when Julio's covered and when Ridley's covered. And I think this guy has a chance to be an absolute stud here in Atlanta. And we know Matt Ryan has the ability to make players be better, as we've seen with Mohamed Sanu, Michael Jenkins. Shit, we can think about it all over the place. Leonard Hankerson. Leonard Hankerson actually did okay with Matt. Um, He's a bit third, big third down guy back then. Yeah. Uh, regardless of how you feel about Matt Ryan, Hayden Hurst gives Matt Ryan another option so that you can point at Hayden Hurst at the end of the year when he does have 850 yards receiving and six or seven touchdowns. Be like, oh, well, Matt Ryan wouldn't be as good without Hayden Hurst when Matt Ryan was probably a big reason why Hayden Hurst did have a good season. So... I am looking forward to seeing Hayden Hurst in this offense. We know Matt Ryan loves his tight ends. He's loved Tony Gonzalez, um, Austin Hooper. I think Hayden Hurst can slide into that role. I don't think he's going to be as effective as Tony Gonzalez, for Christ's sake, who's the best tight end of all time. But I think he's going to be comparable to, to Hooper. Mm-hmm. And to have Hooper and don't forget about Jaden Graham. That's two big pass-catching tight ends. Well, I think Hurst is your expected everyday first-string tight end. Right, but you got different formations and whatnot. Yeah, I'm not saying Jane Graham can't be effective, but when he was, I think when Hooper went out, Graham was the number one tight end. He had a couple of decent games last year when that was. I think the good news is about tight end, I think Luke Stalker's back, your boy, Yeah. who's also a good run-blocking tight end. I like how we just name a random player and call it your boy. Yeah. Well, I know you've talked about <laughs> Luke Stalker before, but... Uh, I, I feel good about the tight ends. I, I, you know what my biggest concern about this season is, Adam? Which it is every year? Uh, lack of fans in the Mercedes-Benz. Don't give a shit about that. <laughs> I think it's going to be funny that we can pump in crowd noise when we got a fucking draft pick taken away It's an advantage that. for us, if anything. I agree. 100%. I mean, this could be the year yeah. the Falcons do something. <laughs> but I think that uh, it's just Dan Quinn, man. Can we avoid the slow start? The last two years we've had slow starts as culminated in a second-half push. Seven and nine finishes. Can we avoid that? I don't. I don't think there's any way to really quantify how that happens or what goes into that. But I hope to Christ. I mean, there have been moves. I will give Thomas Dimitrov this in the draft and in free agency. He has filled the tight end position. He has given us a good defensive end. Uh, you know, he's drafted on the defensive line. He's drafted on the offensive line. I feel like Thomas this year, and he's drafted a cornerback to replace Trufant. I think Thomas has tried this year. There isn't one signing where I've been like, well, that's fucking stupid, dead on arrival, like Carpenter and Brown, I knew we were going to be dead on arrival. Yeah. But, like, 
Um, on paper, it looks good. On paper, it looks good. So now it's like, Dan Quinn, can you put all this shit together? Yeah, we, we can't start 0-2, 0-3. We can't do that no. this year. And the first game is against Seattle. And that's not an easy... And I think it's here. I'm not scared of Seattle. But that's not an easy game. Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett's going to be a test. And also, DK Metcalf of, of the Seahawks will be a big test for this young cornerback. It's this young secondary. Sure. And... Hey, I mean, we, you're 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 thrown into baptism by fire when you got those two receivers, Russell Wilson, and Chris Carson as a running back coming in here, ready to kick ass. You know, Pete Carroll is going to be ready to play. The good news is, is that we really kicked the Seahawks' ass over the course of the last eight years. So hopefully that continues. But it's like one game generally doesn't matter that much. But I feel no. like getting off to win will be huge. Would be huge because we can't if you start zero and one. You're going to start hearing the groans very fast. Oh, yeah. If, if you go down 7 nothing, Oh, yeah. You're going to start hearing the groans. I'm going to freak out. I'm going to throw something through the fucking wall. If, if, if the Seahawks just march down and score the easiest touchdown in the world, everyone's going to lose their shit. Right. So it's really going to be about how the Falcons start this year. And I think there, there, there are tools here that we, have, that we haven't had in years past, uh, particularly on the defensive line. I think the offensive line is going to get better. And that's the key. That's what we bitched about ever since the inception of this podcast. The offensive line and defensive line just aren't good enough. There are good players scattered among those two units, but they haven't been good enough to create a champion. Outside of that 2016 team, which should have been fucking Super Bowl champions, but that was before the goddamn podcast. So now that we have that hopefully shored up a little bit, it's like, so I really look, hope that we can do something this year. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I predict another nine and se- I predict nine and seven this year. I'm going to switch the numbers. I'm going to say nine and seven, maybe a wild card berth. Nine and seven's in the playoffs but this year, maybe. But there's I, an extra. Spot, oh yeah, there's remember. an extra spot. So yeah. yeah, maybe a playoff berth then. But I, um, I have no faith in Dan Quinn. I think he is a horrendous game manager, and until he is gone. The Falcons will never win a Super Bowl, so I, I predict that even if we make the playoffs this year, we are not going to do anything in it, and um, that's that. And I think this will be another kind of like wasted. I, I could see this. I could easily see this going seven to nine again too, and being a wasted season that hopefully ends the Dan Quinn era. There's a part of me, there's a sick, sick part of me that wants us to go six and ten or seven and nine, just so there's no more excuses not to get Dan Quinn out of here. So, essentially, you have the Braves with a 0% chance of winning the World Series and the Falcons with a 0% chance of winning the Super Bowl. Well, don't just talk to me about the Falcons not being... I mean, we are 7-1 to one, uh, underdog. No, it's like even worse than that. There's some, there's some Vegas number about us not even, you know, in, the, in terms of the NFC South just being total losers. Like 70-1 to one odds or something. I mean, like, we are... No one has given us a chance to fucking do anything this year. They don't know shit. So, we got... Let's just look at this realistically. Right. I understand the hype, but here's what we got. So we got the Saints, Drew B- Brees, 40-year-old quarterback. Can't throw a pass over 10 yards. I'm not impressed with Their starting running back is basically sitting out right now, Alvin Kamara. Sure. Uh, still got Michael Thomas. Yeah, I mean, they got some pieces, but with an old-ass still, quarterback. Still got good defense. Eh, they're okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're, they're, so, the, they're the team to beat until the I don't beat. think they're juggernauts. Uh, Tampa Bay, so many like this, I think this, Tampa Bay wins the division. This feels like run away. This feels like when Carl Malone went to the Lakers. No, this is a lot different than that because Carl. Well, 
I actually, actually, well, I, I mean, do you, but the thing is, is that it's going to be on Brady. There's a lot of variables, but like Brady has Godwin and Evans. He didn't have any receivers last year. Godwin and Evans are two of the best receivers in the league. You know who he doesn't have? He the, has Gronk back. He, yeah, Gronk. Sucks. I know Gronk sucks and everything, but who knows? I mean, those guys have great chemistry. He doesn't have Bill Belichick. Regardless, they have is Bruce Arians. Bruce Bill Arians Belichick? is a good coach, but he has Godwin and Evans. Those guys are. Easily going to put up a thousand plus yard seasons. Well, if, they did it last year with Winston. Yeah, but Winston can throw the ball fifty yards. Brady can't throw it over twenty yards. Brady can. I think Brady's still got something left in the tank. He's got a lot to prove. I'm I'm terrified of that team. If they get their secondary together, they are a juggernaut. Would you not say they're a variable though? Yeah, I mean, there's some ifs. Yeah, they're not like a bona fide. I no. Mean, would you be surprised if they go seven or nine? Yes. Would you like? Would you think that's they're, a grand percent? A grand Waldrop zero percenter? Is that a zero percent chance to go? Yeah. Zero percent chance zero to go percent seven, chance nine. seven nine. Zero they, percent. They are five hundred or better team. A team who's never played together with I, a I don't forty-four care. year old quarterback. Don't care. He's the is the greatest of all time for a reason. He had no receivers last year. He gets a major upgrade. in yeah. Evans and Godwin. Hank Aaron's the greatest of all time too. He's not going to come. Think under about our, Leonard Fournette too he, in the running game. Leonard Fournette is, is really fucking good. Why, why, why did Jacksonville get rid of him? There's a lot of Malcolm. Jacksonville's falling apart. They got rid of all their pieces from their, their big-time team that went to the AFC Championship a couple of years ago. There's definitely a percentage chance that they go 7 There's a percentage chance, sure. Okay. But you, I think... you got to get away from these 0 five, and 100%. It's 5% chance they go 7 Okay, I think, I think they are the, in my opinion, they are the favorites to win the division. And then... And I normally don't buy into Tampa Bay hype, but with Brady back there, I do. And you really think the Panthers are going to be better than the Falcons? No. Okay. No, I, like I said at the beginning of this segment, I think the Panthers are the bottom of the, the division. I'm not impressed with this division. <laughs> okay. I don't believe in the Saints so, anymore. I mean, I mean, I know we've made some good additions on paper. It's just the Dan Quinn factor, man. This guy does not know how to coach and situ- situationally. He is outcoached. He's been outcoached every fucking year, even when we had that Super Bowl team. Constantly outcoached. Well, we got Dirk Cutter calls the most vanilla fucking offense for a team that should be putting up thirty plus points a game. I'm also going brass tacks. I'm going nine and seven as well. All right, Falcons, but that's a playoff berth. Okay, I think we hit our stride towards the playoffs, and we'll see what happens. Hey, you know what? You know, also went nine and seven. Plenty of teams are going nine and seven to win the fucking Super Bowl. You think about those Giants, Eli Manning teams. I think both of them were nine and seven. None of, no one expected either one of them to win the championship. I, you know what? I mean, there's there's part of me that says that this Falcons team could fucking do something special this year, but unfortunately to me, Dan Quinn is the fly in the ointment, and so is Dirk Cutter. Thomas, to a lesser degree, even though I'm not a fan of him, but I feel like he's done his fucking job this year for the first time in a while. So it's really on Dan Quinn, Dirk Cutter, Raheem Morris on, def- on, def- on defense, which I know he did a great job once he took over last year. It's on them to get this shit done. I don't think you can point fingers at Dimitrov this year. I think most of the time you could. You can't right now. Yeah. And I don't say that lightly. I'm not a Dimitrov apologist. I think he no. sucks, and I think there's a big part of me that feels like he should have been fired a long time ago. But I will say this. This year, this offseason, has been pretty fucking good. So it's it, Dan Quinn, do it. Or fuck off. You got, you've gotten more lives than 18 cats put together. That seems like a good way to end it, Graham. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up today's show, everyone. I've got think... one more thing to say. Oh, okay. Hawk segment. Jesus. I met Dominique Wilkins the other day. Oh, no shit. <laughs> Not really met him. Saw him. Talked to him. 
called him Mr. Wilkins. And uh, so we'll, we'll set, set the stage here for Christ's sake. That's a terrible story. I was at work. Okay. And uh, there were a few cars that had stuck, so I stuck at the gate, walk out of the office. So Dominique was at your, your garage? Yeah, probably buying something inside America's Mart. Right. And uh, I had helped a couple people out, about to walk back down, back to the office. I was like, I'll help, I'll help this last guy out, mm-hmm. too. And then it was Dominique Wilkins. What, he, what did you so say? So I took a look at his face. It's very clear it's him, but you're still not 100% sure. Right. So his name badge it said Dominique Wilkins. I was like, okay, that's him. And uh, so I was like, oh, Mr. Wilkins, how you doing? Yeah. I said, oh, very good. Thank you. It's like, all right, you have a great day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I didn't want to get into it with him. Right, yeah, yeah, sure. No, that was respectful. Yeah, yeah. That's better than, uh, I don't know. My dad uh, met Dominique, or a similar scenario. just saw him walking on the streets of Atlanta, and uh, he screamed out, You're the man, Dominique! And then Dominique just put out his hands like, and waved at him. That's pretty good, though. Yeah. I think both of those are acceptable stories. Yeah, yeah. Either way. <laughs> That's cool. So yeah. you met Thomas Dimitrov and, and Dominique Wilkins at your, at your job? Yes. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. That's the Hawk segment. That's the, the Hawk segment. I, lo- I love it. Yeah. All right, folks. That wraps up this week's episode of Atlanta Zone. I don't know if we're going to get an episode out um, by the time you hear this in the corresponding week of September whatever, 7th. This one's probably dropping on Monday, right? This one's dropping on September 7th. So we will have missed the results of the Braves Nationals series by the time this one drops. But... Maybe we'll have a show next week, maybe we won't, but we hope you really enjoyed this one. And uh, thank you all for listening, wherever you are and however you've listened to the show. Until next time, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, believe in blue land, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitality. The United lost again. Unfair. Actually, they tied. I think it was like 0-0, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> United segment. Hospitality.